Welcome to Tech Talks, the technology podcast with David Savage and Jack Pierce, publishing on Mondays and Thursdays. This is the show packed full of interviews and debate with technology leaders for the love of tech. On today's Tech Talks, we're talking to Mark. He's the Global Vice President, Intelligent Enterprise Solutions, Artificial Intelligence at SAP. Look at that, Jack. I love how he has one of the most convoluted job titles there is, yet he works for one of the most simply titled organisations out there. Absolutely. <laughs> simply titled, but not always entirely clear what SAP do, because in, in the past I would have just been like, HR systems, I mean, payroll. To, not to but, reference the interview too soon, but he says, was it 80% of organisations have SAP or use SAP? Yeah, something crazy, or 75 yeah. or something, it's a lot. Something alarmingly high that, yeah, when you don't really know what SAP does or do I mean look SAP recruiter Mark Kosminski great guy so I know SAP's a good a good area Mark who ran the uh, half marathon with us last month so shout out to Mark if you're listening yeah but it is funny isn't it it's like if you're at school and it's like which companies do you want to work for there are so many companies like SAP out there who basically run the world that you would never be like yeah. oh, I want to work for SAP I didn't know no offence to SAP no 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 not at all I mean, it's the same with Salesforce I didn't know what Salesforce did until I left Harvey Nash to join my other company the irony being we're in the Salesforce tower <laughs> you know yeah <laughs> pretty bad but I mean yeah these these huge sort of global organisations that are not just shaping the world but the way we live um, and yet they're sort of almost cloak and dagger unless you know you do a bit of reading about them it's not hard to find out about them but they're not going to stick out as a dream place to work like a Facebook would so. what, what I don't understand is you've got people like Mark who work for these amazing companies making decisions that are basically forming the shape of industry yep. and then you've got five absolute tools sitting on bar stools oh potentially God. running the country I mean Rory what's Rory's last name Stewart Rory Stewart is a man that is blessed or, or not blessed with limbs larger than his body his legs, his arms, his hands are ridiculously huge. You know? His limbs are Basil Fawlty-esque. Yeah, right, but he's seen, you look at him in any other light and he looks like a slight man, kind of similar size to me, you know, quite on the shorter side. But you see him sitting propped up on one of these bar stools and... I've seen it suggested that he looks a bit like Woody from Toy Story. Yeah. I mean, look, he's the, the lesserest of the evils, right? We kind of, <laughs> we kind of gladly got to that um, summary a couple of weeks ago. Um, but it does look like Boris is gonna is gonna take it home, right? It does. It does. Let's not bother talking about it because it's too bloody depressing. Yes. And dive into an interview with Mark uh, in the nice liberal Netherlands. Hey, look. If we could um, if we could use AI to augment our politicians to making better decisions, I'd be all up for that. There's a stat in the uh, in the interview along the lines of 51 percent of knowledge based tasks could be augmented or, or automated. Yeah, politicians. And five percent of jobs could be completely replaced <laughs> well if it was just that five percent well would we feel sorry for <laughs> them though like like we were saying on monday show would we end up feel sorry for our robot politicians <laughs> i don't know i feel more sorry for them than these guys <laughs> that, that's very true <laughs> yeah right uh so let's dive into our interview it is with mark um i hope you enjoy this it's all about data very very interesting view yeah. on the world uh but stay with us afterwards we will have some thought and comment so we're talking to Mark. Mark, I actually met you at uh, AI Expo at Olympia last week where you gave a talk all around AI uh, and you are, uh, well, you're a member of staff at SAP. So thanks for taking some time to join us. 
Well, thank you, thank you. And actually, I, I really enjoyed the AI Expo last uh, week with you. I think we had a great time with the audience and more important, um, we got to actually get some crazy statements out there. So I think it was fun. It thank was you. fun, it was. And, and I have to say, it was uh, slightly daunting uh, talking to an audience knowing that the person that's coming after you really does know their shit to be perfectly honest if you excuse my language but yeah you know your, your talk your talk was really insightful so I'm, I'm really pleased that we've got an opportunity to share some of that uh with our audience today but very quickly what is your role so so people kind of understand where you fit <clears throat> in that organization so um in, in sap we focus on a lot of new innovation and we started that innovation journey um, around two years ago by defining the Leonardo portfolio. We call this intelligent technology. So the moment you, you want to become a digital company, you want to do a digital transformation, the outcome of a successful transformation is your company being more intelligent. So for an intelligent enterprise, you're going to need a digital platform, you're going to need to have a digital data layer, and you need intelligent technologies. So within the intelligent technologies part, um, I am responsible for the artificial intelligence component, which means strategy setting, product definition, um, all the way till the handover to our development teams who do phenomenal stuff with it. So we need to focus in our team, in, in our phenomenal team, for multiple parts. Who's the end client? How are they going to lift this part? What is it going to mean for their job? How is it going to impact their culture? What does it mean for our partners? How can they implement it? Which is a very different way than traditional software development. Sorry, to, to jump in, that's an interesting point because a lot of organizations have spoken <clears throat> about innovation for a long time. Innovation is not new. In fact, in fact, if anything, when you start talking about innovation at tech conferences, you kind of feel like half the, the room rolls their eyes. And yet, as an industry, I don't think we've been as successful at, at innovation as we'd like to think we have. So... How different is that mentality for people, especially when, when you're talking about a portfolio of technologies that's wholly new? Um, so the most important is, is in your culture. Do you have, A, a culture that accepts, and I, I find accept failure, I, I rather focus on you know, lessons learned. Like, okay, this doesn't work. How are we going to share this? How are we going to make sure we avoid this next time or we are aware of it next time? Um, if you don't, incent and motivate people to share things that don't work and you only want to have a success culture it's going to be pretty hard to innovate mm. the second is you need to embed it in what we all do let's let's take digital transformation beautiful word like we're going to innovate we're going to be a digital company all our process is going to be digital which is i think essential today but just by appointing a chief digital officer, you're not there. Just by saying you have an ethics arrangement for your technology, you're not there. I mean, let's be clear. There is no company that has a chief electricity officer walking around today. They had that maybe 100 years ago. They had a chief steam uh, machinery 150 years ago. But the moment something is actually ingrained in your culture and in your business, you don't need a chief business officer because digital business is everybody's business so first is a culture that you actually can be open and and learn and allow people actually to go forward the second is a situation where you actually focus on the enablement and, and the embedding of what you do and not necessarily make it a goal by itself the third <clears throat> and i think most of all is how you lead people 
and and uh, this this careful balance between not micromanaging yet nudging people in the right direction is, is an important one but let, let's take sales for 10 seconds most people think that the sales leaders need to be the most successful salesperson but let's be clear let's let's take soccer for a second right the spurs and ajax are after all playing <laughs> I, to I, do, I do know you're a massive ix fan <laughs> i am and, and a very happy ix fan at the moment i can tell you <laughs> so so if, if we look at louis van gaal he was a very mediocre player but a phenomenal phenomenal coach if you take phenomenal players like like that marco van boston right phenomenal player but in my book a mediocre coach and many many players it's like in a hospital many many surgeons aren't equipped to be the chief administrator of the hospital so we need to have a culture where we can say hey leading sales teams is something else than being the best salesperson that means mm. i need another career path for those that actually want to stay professional whether it's sales whether it's lawyers whether it's procurement or merchandising and not necessarily force them into you must be management because that's mostly the end of their knowledge and the end of their creativity so that the first is this what is it we want to achieve with digital transformation how do we make it part of us the second is how do we change the culture but the third is how do we lead people different and how do we create different career paths after all, very, very few top players became top coaches. And that, pick, I, that, that's our culture, basically, there. Picking up on that point, leading people into different career paths, that's going to get more challenging given how artificial intelligence would look to be dramatically altering the, the landscape around what the future workplace actually looks like anyway. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. One of the quotes that I like to use is that 65%, 65% of children that entered primary school in 2016, 65% of them will end up working in a job category that doesn't exist today. And I'm not, I'm not talking drone operator or data scientist because those jobs already exist, right? So, so there's, there's three things. That's, that, that, that's crazy. I mean, how, how does a leader lead, lead people into career paths that they don't even know yet? Well, we don't know the career path, but we know the way how our personal life is, is impacted, mm. right? 20 years ago, we had technology on the work floor. There was a computer. And then years later at home, we had a computer. And then at work, we got laptops. And years later at home, we got laptops. But now it's around, right? We play PlayStation VR. We go Pokemon Go or Fortnite. It, it has changed the way we live and play. We use Amazon and Uber Eats and AliExpress to shop. We watch binge watch on netflix on, on when you live in the states on amazon prime we use snapchat and facebook and whatsapp to communicate so the way we watch things the way we shop the way we talk the way we play has significantly changed and now we're pushing this back in our work environment They're like how do you mean i have to sit behind my desk what do you mean i can't have a tablet and walk around how do you mean i have to first fill in the form by hand and then type it over i, I don't do that home at home i make a picture of it and it scans the receipt and it basically uploads it into my bank. I mean, those things, we can see those motions. And then we need to ask ourselves as leaders, um, following the World's Economic Forum's guidelines, what is the top three of transforming technologies that will impact jobs? One is robotics, automated, autonomous transport, uh, especially, both distribution center cars, buses, etc. Second is artificial intelligence, which is, by the way, one of the core components of the robotics. And the third is 
advanced materials and bio, bio, biotechnology. Now, if by 2030, 60% of the jobs will be dramatically changed, we need to realize, I'm quoting MIT here, that we're not in, in a great recession or a great stagnation here, but we're actually in a time of a great restructuring. Our technologies are racing ahead, but our skills and our organization are lagging behind. So we need to actually prepare by having a more flexible kind of organization, models that we focus on what I call the augmented human. AI is not, or technologies like AI are definitely gonna touch professional knowledge workers, experts. Today, the last non-automated part, especially accountants, lawyers, merchandisers, people that, that pride themselves of, you know, I, I'm supported by IT, but the stuff I do is the stuff I do. Nobody else can do this. And we, we're not suffering from information overload. We're suffering from a filter failure. So when we go to artificial intelligence, we really need to focus on what is it going to do for jobs. And 51% of job activities of knowledge workers can actually be automated but less than 5% of jobs are entirely replaceable by machines. Well, let me give you a very simple example. Nobody studied law four years of university college, then three years specialization to become a, um, a barrister, a lawyer, or a general counsel, a special general counsel, to spend four days a week comparing two documents where they change the contents, compare two contracts in the redlining process. And yes, Word and those kind of things can do some for you, but the missing an Oxford comma is actually the difference between a disclaimer and an exclusion and a $30 million lawsuit. So if you can replace the numbing, repetitive, boring tasks, right? And you can let the robots process and the human think, what are you going to do with that capacity that comes available? And that's what the real innovation is. The moment you have a surplus of knowledge as an organization, how are you going to create value out of that? Because it's so easy to reduce cost there. So, so that's an interesting point. I'm glad you mentioned the word value because you're describing huge positive benefits of embracing this technology, regardless of the seismic changes that some organizations have to go through with regards to their culture. And also the unknown aspect of this, you know, the, the, the 60, 65% of work changing by 2030. What I find interesting is I saw a stat that suggested that four out of 10 organizations believe that they are making or saving money from artificial, artificial intelligence today. And that to me felt soft. That to me felt like there might be some political gaming going on there. Um, and I don't know what, what your thoughts are on that, but, but what... What are the best ways that organizations can monetize and take advantage of this tech? So, yeah, that, that is, that is the, <laughs> the golden nugget question. Let, let me turn it around for 10 seconds. Um, one of the, the generals that, that impressed me most in the way that he reorganized the U.S. Um, military forces after 9-11, uh, Shinseki, had this phenomenal quote. If you don't like change, you're going to like irrelevant even less. And I think that is the most important part. Most companies start change because there's a burning platform or we need to do something. And, and it's very easy to appease the market, especially when you're stock noted, to say, oh, the latest technology is already delivering it. I mean, 22% of the Fortune 
2000 in their 2017 annuals was already contributing artificial intelligence to really deliver um, results and impact. And I said, you're kidding. That means in two year time, since it became mainstream, 2014, 2015 is, is more or less the point that the first AI platforms came there. Um, I mean, and I know because, you know, I, I used to work at IBM Watson. I, I, I was the chief business strategist there. So with what, what we did in those days, right? When I look, look what SAP started with Leonardo and Leonardo under, under SAP, SAP, 77% of the world runs on SAP. That's the processes through SAP. And, and that means when you take those stats and I look at what our clients are doing with all incredible respect for the effort, it's taking two, three years to do such a transition to get a small change through it, right? And yes, you can say, well, we do automatic in-checking now with AI or, hey, we do expense management. And yes, you, you will have taken tasks that have, will have paid off. But to contribute a large profit of your cost saving or your 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 profit in the last 2015 2017 to ai i am sorry but denial is not only a river in egypt you know and 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 that's my concern it's so easy when new technology came out we saw this with big data we saw this with business intelligence we saw this with advanced analytics we saw this with data warehousing all these these things have one thing in common how do you monetize data? Because you don't monetize AI, you monetize what AI does with the data. That means if you didn't have good data to start with, you're not gonna get something miraculously great with AI out of it. So if you, you could use AI with that cost saving, that means you actually realize for years you had a problem, but you weren't able to address it, you didn't have the manpower, you didn't have the knowledge, and yes, AI and machine learning as a component under it is a phenomenal set of technologies. Absolutely. And it is changing things. One last thing then, because I'm conscious of, of, of your time. Uh, we've talked about the future. We've talked about culture. You've talked about data there, monetization. You obviously, as, as a strategist and someone who talks to clients, will sit and, and try and fix or work through their problems with them. What is the the one thing that you keep circling back to when you're talking to people that you think people need to think about? Um, oh, it's actually two things together and they go hand in hand. One, as we already said, what is the value you're gonna, gonna create out of the time and the capacity of your best people that comes available or how your best people can help your lesser people to be more valuable. But the second is how you're treating data as an asset because if you if you look at it, the moment we are a shipping company, right? One of our trucks is down. Man, everybody gets upset. But one of, when we are a aircraft company, one of our planes is having problems. We're getting in the newspaper. Everything is upset. But the moment a third of your invoices gets returned because you had the wrong data on it, right? People just say, "Oh well, that's part of it." And I like data is an asset and the quality of your algorithm of your ai is going to be based on on the original training data the examples you use and the bias that will always be in there and the transparency you build in your organization and asking the question to the algorithms like hey how did you come to your answer and therefore recognizing unintended consequence and and the joke i always use is when you use an iphone and you say hey siri text my wife i love her my wife gets this 
message, I love her. And around five seconds later, she calls me and says, who the heck is she? And the, the point is, it's there for six years. And Siri basically again picks this one up, as you can hear in the background. So the, the irony there is, the irony is, we know sometimes there are unintended consequences, but we don't have the governance or measures to do something about it. And I think it all starts, if you want to create value, you're going to get accountability and ownership to everything and everybody in the business that is using that most important asset of you that uses data and that uses the data either to create, to train, to adjust the algorithm or to just push it through as input data in the algorithm. So, so coming to the first question, what I find interesting, I, my bet is that the coming three, four years, it's not going to be the big corporations that are going to be fast moving in digitizing their processes in digital transformation. It's going to be those mid-sized enterprises. They already are, when you look at Gartner study, right, the top performers. I mean, you have trailing performers, you have typical performers, but you look at the Gartner study and you see the amount of mid-sized enterprises that are more likely to monetize on data assets and therefore on artificial intelligence. It's those mid-sized companies that just have enough agility to say, hey, this is important. How are we going to do this? Where executive boards are still close enough to the middle layer and the ground floor to realize like our data really isn't good. And, and the, the first thing that I notice is that those companies that start adopting infonomics practices where you value your information assets and therefore the technologies that make them realize the intelligent technology like artificial intelligence, that they start thinking mentally already as a sort of internal purpose balance sheet. And they say, if this is the internal purpose balance sheet of our data, what is the bigger purpose of my company that I want to be besides making profit? And the moment they match them together, those are those, those successful winners. It's, it's, it's in, in ending with a simple quote, JFK said years ago, when he had to close steel mills, we believe if men have the talent to invent new machines that put men out of work, we also have the talent to put those men back to work. So I, I don't think AI will, will replace knowledge workers. It will replace knowledge workers and managers who don't use AI, that's for sure. But I, I think it's really gonna be a phenomenal future where we have some augmented intelligence, where we really use technology to expand human information processing capabilities. The, qu the core question is, right, what is your focus and manner gonna be? It's so easy to reduce costs, but what yeah. about retraining them? Well, look, Mark, I, I really appreciate your time. Uh, it's a fascinating area with a huge amount that's unknown, but a lot also for people to actually act upon now. But, um, I hope you enjoy the rest of your week. Obviously, a big night tomorrow night. One, one half of this podcast, certainly uh, my co-host is an Arsenal fan, so he'll, he'll probably be wearing an Ajax shirt tomorrow with you. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but uh, apart from that, really, thank you very much for, for coming and speaking to us. Well, thank you so much. It was my pleasure, David. So um, I'll start with one of the points he makes towards the end of the interview. Okay. That this is the era of the mid-sized enterprise. I love that. Yeah. I mean, if there's ever a ever a big wig, big personality in tech that's going to say, you know, your SMEs are the ones to focus on. They're the ones that could drive this home. All the startup founders out there listening, that's music to your ears, right? I think it's interesting because we often see big tech and we get very, um, as we will come to later, we get very uh, fixated on the likes of Facebook. Yep. 
and we get very excited about the young sexy startups yep but actually the mid-tier enterprise that has as mark puts it enough agility and a board that's close enough to the grounds to understand the value of their data and be transparent but also has the resources to actually enable change that's a really interesting point. I think, he, and, and the, the, the point you just made that the, the Mark says in the interview, you know, they, they're agile, they, they can act at pace and a lot faster. And I think something that does get forgotten a lot is, you know, that shortness in distance in, in closeness to comms with the board, right? I can't even begin to imagine how many big, large companies have an idea, have an innovative product, want to take AI down a certain route, but it gets not only stuck with the board, but it's hard to get in touch with the board. You know, it's these people are so elusive at times and they probably think well we want to remain we want to remain hands free we'll remain off the you know let the decision makers within the decision makers make the decisions or whatever but you need a board that's going to be active and listen to your proactivity because if they don't you're no longer proactive you're reactive i think as well when you talk to the leadership community within technology one of their gripes recently has been that the board simply doesn't understand technology yeah yeah but if you've got a board that's close enough to the and I don't think that's necessarily fair. I was talking to a board member actually at an event yesterday who's yeah. saying, I want to understand. As a board member, to be able to do my job properly, I have yeah. to be able to query um, before I sign something off. And it's frustrating not to be able to do that. So I don't think it's that the board are just like, we don't care. Yeah. But there is this well, we don't know. Yeah, yeah. There's, 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 a, there's a communication breakdown, certainly. And given how important it is um, when you're building stakeholder relationships that you yep. have the board politically on side, but also, that's I mean, a challenge. You know, board members are typically of the baby boomer generation. Now, you know how people, how, listeners will know how I feel about that. But if you look at typically the where these people would get their news from, it's from these scaremongering publications about tech. Don't do this with AI, you know, you'll true. lose. I mean, you're probably right. But I'm, I'm sure it's um, it's an unfair generalisation made by me that all board members only read broadsheet newspapers. But if they're getting their news source from... Or are old. Or are old, yeah, very true. Um, but, like, we get our news sources from the next web and TechCrunch and things like that, you know, that's fairly liberal. And The Guardian, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Guardian's hit a miss. But, yeah, fairly liberal, you know knows what it's talking about when it comes to tech and it's just like well these guys aren't educated on it and they're obviously incredibly busy people you know a board member won't just be sat on one board they have other jobs and stuff so it's yes it's a cycle but one that proactive board members should be looking to break out of but looping back into what mark was saying around uh, mid-tier enterprises you know how do you treat your your data as an asset so he paints that kind of description of a third of invoices being returned and the quality of your data, of, uh, sorry, the quality of the AI mm. is based on the original training data and bias, and you need that transparency. And yeah. If you're a huge organization, that is increasingly hard to do. So again, that mid-tier enterprise, yeah. Yeah. it has enough data to be able to make to make insight and observations, but it's not so large that you lose that, and it's, it's a case of a third of all invoices come back and yeah. they're incorrect. Oh, well, that just happens. Well, on the culture piece as well, a large organization is going to struggle to change culture at pace when implementing AI and things like that. A smaller company is going to be more agile and more open and more flexible to do that. And yeah, it's almost a throwaway point at the end of the interview there, but it's so important. How much did you enjoy that he basically validated the business case of one of our former guests? 
I, I had to message you. I paused it to because I always talk about Emily Fogues and Luminance, right? Because it's such a stellar example of AI taking away the boring parts of jobs. And Emily said, you know, trainee lawyers back in the 50s and 60s would come in straight on a case. They're helping, they're reading, they're learning. Now they're comparing contracts, like like um, Mark says, redlining through documents, looking for comparisons. It's just boring. It's enough to make put anyone off of that educational knowledge-based job. And um, yeah, I mean, to, to hear him put Emily's story into into practice is just yeah, just proves that AI is there to augment boring, shitty tasks. Now I know that you studied English. Um, yes. What's the difference between a comma and an Oxford comma, or is an Oxford comma just a proper name for a comma? No, an Oxford comma comes um, usually in a list uh, before the word and. So if I say Dave is fit, strong, and sexy, I would put the comma. Lying. Yeah. You'd be lying. I would put the comma before and. Fake to, news. To differentiate the fact that you're not fit, strong, and sexy. You're fit, strong, comma, and sexy. Ah. Now, it is... Um, is it like eat shoots leaves, eat shoots Very leaves. much. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, I think the Oxford comma is superfluous. I think if... I, I don't like using it because I don't think people read like that. I was always taught to um, use and as a mini clause itself. You know, that is a break in passage, a break in speech. This, this is a new podcast. Gra- Jack's grammar... <laughs> Jack's grammar gramophone. Grammar gripes. Grammar gramophone. Grammar gramophone. Yeah. Anyway. But yeah, so I think, yeah, the Oxford comma... It, but like he says, it can actually affect. It's like that old court case where they put commas in the millions or whatever, and then they took them out, or something happened. He only got paid a quid rather than a million dollars because they used full stops instead of commas in the contract, or something like that. Yeah. Hmm. But getting back to his point, I do love the fact that he says that robots process humans think. Yes. And he makes the point that you e- you can very easily reduce costs, yep. but there's opportunity there to create value, and that's the thing that you can't afford to miss. Yeah, you create in value. You're you're upskilling at the same time as well. And if that isn't just feeding into your business being a productive, proactive place to work, then then what is? Hmm. Now, what about this stat that? Um, 65% of children entering job categories yeah. that don't exist today. Yeah, I mean, when I first heard that, I thought it was like, oh, maybe AI is taking away a lot of jobs. But he's talking about future jobs that's gonna, that's, that, that are going to exist that don't currently. You know, drone piloting already exists, but, you know, loads of stuff around that's, that. That's the fun thing, right? Yeah, he says, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not a drone pilot because that exists. Yeah. We are literally talking about stuff that you and I could make up on the spot. Yeah. And that's not, a, not that that will come to pass, but... So that just further feeds the argument that AI isn't taking away jobs, it's creating more, right? But there needs to be sufficient support from organisations yes. and from um, government, for want of a better yep. word, to make sure that there's training available yep. to retool the um, the population. And we were joking a little bit about the, the leadership debate at the, at the beginning of, of the podcast, but on Sunday on Channel 4... Several of the leadership candidates did make the point that we are going through a very rapid period of change here. Yep. And we need to be aware of the effects that it's going to have on a huge percentage of the working population yeah, yeah, yeah. and what we do. Yeah. What do we do? Well, you, you start, it's like, it's like when they set up the whole St. James's Parkland for the uh, English FA and football team. You start at grassroots. Oh, George's Park. St. George's Park. Oh, yeah. Sorry, yeah. Castle for nah. a second. St. George's Park, a big part of it. But, you know, you start at a grassroots level. Kids are playing Minecraft and learning to code off their own back at the moment anyway. But code should be taught, as I think, as alongside science and maths. And he mentions the fact that, you know, robotics and automation, um, or automation, automated cars, rather, yep. AI and biotech are the top three things that the World Economic Forum thinks is going to impact the world of work. Yep. He made the point that it's a time of great change. 
he points out that organisations are lagging behind. They already yes, are lagging behind yes. because, as he states, in the past it was the world of work that influenced the world of, of home. Mm. And now that has flipped entirely. And it's placing, placing all sorts of pressures on organisations yep. and they're not responding. That yeah. is, they're not responding quickly. Yeah, as he says. So why can't I work from home? You know, this is just one of those points. We've, we've shifted now from a... Even, even when I started work, sort of six, seven years ago, you're office-based all the time, at your desk, well, well. But our life, you know, work-life balance has meant that we need to consider the easy side, the life side more. And, you know, AI can enable people to do that as well, you know. So look, I mean... Um, oh, no, before we go... Go on. Mark might not have listened to our show, but... He of course is, he does. Everyone does. But he, he would fit in really well because he uses a football analogy to describe coaching and mentoring. Well, that was, oh, and yes. the sales cycle, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, look, we've got to mention the football. It, it kind of, it's a Wizard of Oz. Yeah. Peel back the curtain moments because uh, it shows how long our publishing pipeline is. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it shows, shows how booked up we are. <laughs> and um, it, it's lovely of Mark to have been this patient. Very sorry. Ajax did end up winning the league. Yeah, yeah, and don't worry, Spurs ended up losing the Champions League yeah, as well, so we it's fine, don't worry. But um, I, I just want to say... El- the, the Van Basten, Van Hal. Van Hal was a good manager until he came to England. No, Van Hal was an amazing manager. For Man just, United? No, no, but by that point, there is there is a thing where kind of those super managers have like a, a hot patch of like five years. Oh, absolutely, Barcelona to... Um, where did he go after Barcelona? Was he, at Madrid, was he at Milan and then Barcelona? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he did good things with Barcelona. He did, but he just built on what Bobby Robson put. Well, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I do, I do like that point that um, that he makes. The best doctor, as well, you know, isn't necessarily the best administrator. Yeah, yeah. How we lead people and create different career paths is going to be absolutely fundamental in the future. Gareth Southgate wasn't that good of a defender. I mean, he was a good what? defender. He was a fine defender, but he never played for a big club, did he? Apart from Man U, was he? Right. Big club, Dave. Mid nineties, they Big. were still championship right tight contenders. In the sure, sure, right. So from if you're my age, all you remember him is at Middlesbrough primarily, and he was on yeah. his way down there. He was, and he was never even a good manager before he took the England job. Some might say it's not even right for England at the moment. But to the point that I, I do think, other than maybe Guardiola and Conte, the best managers aren't the best players. Simple as. Desperately trying. No, Bobby, Bobby, Bobby Robson, yeah. Bobby Robson played for England yeah. on numerous occasions. Yeah. Was yeah. a very highly rated manager uh, for, uh, player. Yeah. No, okay. Keegan didn't really work he as a wasn't manager. Actually a great manager. Well, so great footballer. He was a very good manager for Newcastle, but it was dependent on the. Look, we're getting into a completely different podcast. <laughs> on a spree, and people like that was the. Let's go to our yeah, yeah, Mark, thank you very much for coming on the show. Some fascinating insight into data and the future of work. Uh, Myself and Jack will continue this football conversation. (laughs) And here is your advert. Tech Talks are partnering with Alive and Kicking, a charity that set up businesses that manufacture beautiful sports balls across sub-Saharan Africa. Using profits from ball sales and additional fundraising from events like the Hackney Half Marathon, they're able to train sports coaches to deliver vital health education. We're about to hear from Naomi, a coach in Zambia, who's been trained to deliver mental health education to her community. Hello there, this is Coach Naomi from Zambia. I would love to say about Alive and Kicking training, which has helped me to teach my players about like mental health. It has really built my knowledge and they have passed through to my young players in, in the community.
I also work with Special Olympics where we deal with children with disability, mentally and physically. I hope and trust that they are alive and kicking. We'll continue teaching coaches in various parts of the world, not just in Zambia. Thank you very much, Alive and Kiki. Welcome back to Tech Talks. We've got some news for you. Yeah. It's probably news that you're aware of. Unless you're me. <laughs> um, and we're only going to concentrate on the one article today because I think it's quite a big one. And it's hot off the press on, on the heels of our cryptocurrency Bitcoin episode last week. It's almost no, as if... this week. It's almost Sorry. as if Facebook were listening. It is. Facebook, as kind of expected because they've been quietly going about hiring people to, to make this a reality. They hired ahead of, ahead of cryptocurrency. <laughs> <laughs> they are launching, I'm not going to say their own cryptocurrency because that was the headline in The Guardian. Because I stuck that out online and Jesse who writes, a good friend of the show, yep. who writes a hard fork and is very well read on this said it's not a cryptocurrency. So let's say a coin, coin no, no, it's not a token based currency it's the new paypal that's almost Except it paypal are investing in it yeah well i've got the list of investors here actually if you did want it but do you want to give us some more of an intro and then i can tell you the investors so yeah basically uh, facebook are launching a a currency a coinbase currency called libra mm-hmm. it's going to be launched as soon as 2020 wow which is very soon six months away they claim that this is all about inclusive finance and giving access to finance to those who don't have it already. I'm already laughing because I'm like, no, it's an extra billion users for Facebook, but fine, go on. Um, and they also uh, basically, well, they're just taking advantage of the hype around Bitcoin. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's interesting because there yeah. is a lot of, as we were discussing on Monday, um, I suppose a lot of disillusionment with, with fiat currencies. Yep, yep. But the whole point about cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin is their cash Borderless. for a cashless society. Yep. Um, and they don't have a third party sitting in the middle of those transactions. Yep. Whereas this definitely would. Yep. And when we've got a company like Facebook who we already have huge privacy concerns yep, about yep. for very good reason mm-hmm. how do we feel about this now I don't think Facebook have anything really to do as the middleman they only can vote on governance issues apart from the fact it's their company yes I know I that mean, they're saying take there's a Chinese war around it yeah yeah we take it at face value um, okay so we're believing them for the time being uh, yeah yeah but, okay. you know, and, and, and also your identity isn't tied to anything like that's 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 what I guess Facebook are deeming it as a cryptocurrency because okay. I like PayPal. Obviously, your identity is. So just to get back to the people that the twenty eight soon to be founding members. I mean, we've all had to put in a billion, yeah, a, a, a ten million each, ten million, um, oh, not a billion, that would be a yeah, lot. Yeah, yeah, a lot. <laughs> but like, just bearing in mind that when, <laughs> when Bitcoin Sorry. and Ethereum was really swooping the nation a year, eighteen months ago, people like PwC. Um, the big banks of the world were saying stay away from this let's not do this a lot of, there's a lot of scaremongering so I just want to so the people that are um, well, yeah, just on that point yeah. as well it's in their favour because fiat currencies yeah. they control so they don't necessarily want yeah. a competition yeah so they're but so that's what that's what's surprising about some of these people so Mastercard PayPal Stripe Visa Booking Holdings eBay uh, Facebook obviously Lyft Mercado Spotify Uber Vodafone um 
blockchain companies include Anchorage, Bison Trails, Coinbase, Zappo Holding Limited. Uh, you've got some VC funds in there and some non-profits as well. So, you know, and one of the non-profits being Creative Destruction Lab, which I, I find a great name. But I guess, you know, these are all companies that we might not trust wholly, but I mean, I trust Spotify more than I trust Facebook. I trust MasterCard more than I trust Facebook. So I kind of yeah, think... MasterCard, at the end of the day, they're just, they're just handling or processing yeah, payments. They don't really care what the currency is. So if they, if, if they see the value in investing, which is, you know, small change for them at this time... Well, if they see the value in investing in a, in a currency that's yeah. being set up by an organisation, Organization that has 2.4 billion users. <laughs> I wonder what the value could be. Now, my only question is: Facebook is doing this for inclusive. They so say that, yes. They're, 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 they're stating they're doing this for more inclusive. But, but payments. you don't need to do this to to uh, tick that box. So Monzo, yeah, right. The whole point about the inclusive piece around setting up a bank account is traditionally you went to uh, say. Barclays. Yep. I bank with Barclays. That's the only reason I'm choosing them. This isn't anything a dig, a dig at them, right? No. Nope. It's just first into my head. But you set up a bank account with Barclays, you need to provide proof of address. Yep. Now, if you come to the UK and you've got part-time work and you have uh, your sofa surfing or you're yep. looking for a place and you get a job, it's incredibly difficult yep. to set up an yep. account and get paid. And that's one of the real changes. And one of the reasons that Monzo took off was they didn't ask for that level of detail and right. they just were able to give you a prepay card. Yeah. And you had a functioning account of a sort that yeah. money could be paid into. So that was inclusive. That was a disruptive, inclusive influence on the financial market. You don't need a cryptocurrency to do that. So I think you're, you're, you're feeding into my question, kind of, because if it's meant to be inclusive and there's 1.7 billion people without bank accounts, I'm not going to assume, but I'm going to safely assume that many of those won't have access to internet many of those won't have access to a smartphone how are they going to even use this if it's about inclusive banking and giving bankless uh, people without bank accounts stuff if they don't have technology you know Buffalo Grid are only one company that tries to save the world you know how is it even going to work in application well I, I don't I don't know for sure but but, but the, the reality is most people actually do have a smartphone even in developing countries yeah and, access to uh, 3G 4G no, actually, you'd be surprised because because you don't have the the, the um, legacy infrastructure. It's quite okay. easy All to right. stick yeah. in, in in a network. Antenna, that works. Yeah. And and one of the interesting user cases around token based economies, right. right, is that if you give money to say, say you give money to a child in a deprived community in Africa yep. for them to live, yep. or you give it to um, uh, a young mother, mm-hmm. there's plenty of cases of husbands or fathers abusing that taking that money and going and spending it for purposes yeah. because it's cash yeah, and yeah, you yeah. can yeah. with a token of a sort or a cryptocurrency based um, system there is the upside that it can only be spent on certain things so it's harder to manipulate that and yeah. to steal that so so in those circumstances I can see it, that work, it helps that there's more inclusivity and, and whatever else yeah. but I don't I'm not sure that's what Facebook are driving at yeah and I think I think they're kind of throwing the word inclusivity in there because it's a buzzword at the moment because it's and because so they important. want to be seen as, as being a good company exactly when this is this has got nothing more to do with the fact that they want to just drive more ads on their platform because if they empower small businesses to use this yeah. they're going to want to advertise more and do you know what Facebook even said that in the article I was reading. I don't know if I've saved it. I probably haven't because I'm an idiot. Yeah, there you go. So uh, Facebook's VP of blockchain has explained the company's motive and the tie-in with its core revenue source during a briefing at San Francisco's historic Mint building. 
If more commerce happens, then more small businesses will sell more on and off platform. Yeah. And they'll want to buy more ads on the platform so it'll be good for our ads yes. business. So, you know, it's we're going to have the long run. And I, and I do fear that big tech are kind of like going, oh, hey, shit. We've been caught with, with, you know, we've been caught with our hand in the cookie jar. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the 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 movement that we see beautifully def- articulated by everyone around responsible leadership is is definitely gaining traction mm-hmm. um, in the wider tech community. Mm-hmm. But like you say, just saying that we're inclusive doesn't inclusive. Is yeah. this is Libra? actually responsible is it being built responsibly I, I would question that this is not built with that responsible angle in, no, in mind built to drive ad, their ad business <laughs> and, and I took it out on Twitter this morning Just I, I had a few questions I took it out there going first of all is this good for Bitcoin because yep. you could say that okay it raises awareness about cryptocurrencies could take for uh, more more of a people I'll, I'll use Bitcoin um, the inclusion piece I, which we've touched on I said despite assurances to the contrary surely no one trusts Facebook to use their data right. on other services yep. and ultimately does the lack of trust matter like we talk about trust and everyone gets very angry yep. about it yep. 2.4 billion users are, is there going to be a critical mass of enough people that really couldn't give a shit if, they, if, if it's a service that they like that they can spend through WhatsApp well I guess, I guess it depends on who do we trust more Facebook or an unknown cryptocurrency that we want to invest in, you know, yeah. it's it's pick your poison time, really. <laughs> Let's be honest. We've we've always said, you know, um, despite our concerns about Amazon, off Amazon because it's convenient. Yes. And the one thing I would say is, if they tie this into something like WhatsApp, which is undoubtedly the world's biggest messaging platform, yep. and and I can send you money via WhatsApp, it's convenient. It's a easy. lot of a lot of people will go. Yeah, all right. Sure. Yeah, no, and I, I can quite easily. You, you know, you've only got to go out for a curry with six tits and know how messy it is yeah. paying for it at the end of the night. And what's brilliant about things like Monzo and Revolut, yeah. they, they yeah. offer those. Can I go around a table and go, oh, have you got, have you got yeah. Revolut? Yeah. Not everyone does. Exactly. Has everyone got WhatsApp? Of course they do. And that's that's my real worry that yes. despite the yes. concerns, despite the we need more regulation, we need this to be thought through, we mm-hmm. need it to be scrutinised. I think WhatsApp is the jewel in the crown that makes this really scary and likely to take off. They're integrated with Instagram as well. You know, you follow an influencer, you can see what they're wearing, you can buy it. Like that will happen as well. Yeah. Like, and that only we're makes lazy. individuals' data all the more. Right. Uh, you know, you're twisting what what even is a currency? What is your value that you're exchanging? I mean, we put by the way, I put this as well to Danny, who was obviously on the show on, on yes. Monday, and he said, "All noise. This is his opinion. It's all noise. To be honest, it's nothing like Bitcoin. The users of Libra cannot self-govern uh, and remain subject to the whims of the federation. Whatever Facebook, and also he says, what has Facebook ever built themselves that has succeeded beyond their original products?" Yeah. Very good point, point, yeah. But they've got enough money to buy WhatsApp, so again... But then that's the argument, isn't it? Will they into it? Will they see it through? Because all their other products and things just hasn't worked. So, I mean, it's an interesting space to keep an eye on. Yeah. And we will definitely be using it on WhatsApp. (laughs) Will we? (laughs) Yeah... I think so. I think so. I'm more about ease than trust these days. It's convenience, yeah, but it's like... If you had the choice of shopping at Tesco, Sainsbury's, whatever... Yep. Versus a Waitrose that uses no packaging whatsoever and is undoubtedly more expensive and it because there's no packaging where would you shop? Well that is the tipping point on where we go with the whole ethical thing right? comes back to ease as well though there's not a Waitrose within two miles of where I live 
So while Did you live in East London, guys, <laughs> you've got an Audi and an Asda. <laughs> <laughs> nothing wrong yeah. with Audi. Nothing wrong with Audi. No, not at all. I'm I love it in there. Not a fan of Asda. Asda's fine. Like Asda is fine. The chicken, chicken and the meat. The is shit, seems to go off quite quickly. Yeah, it's just the closest one to our house. Like I say, I'm a creature of habit, and it's easy to get there. Yeah. Sorry, guys. 